Welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast and this is my podcast where I get to talk to coaches about coaching and tonight I have got a tool player who is trying his hand at coaching. I've got Matt Jager on the line tonight. Thanks for coming in and talking to me, Matt. Yeah, no worries, mate. Um, I think this will be really cool because I've had essentially all coaches on so far, but I've got now I've got someone who's got a bit of a, a playing background that's moving into coaching. So I think we can we can dig a bit deeper into some of your stories. So for those that don't know you, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. So um, yeah, it's been a you know interesting journey so far, and um, you know I've come from you know based here in Victoria now and, um, you know, got my family life and all that set up here and um, played all my junior golf in, in Western Australia. And, um, you know, I was a member at Melville Glades growing up and, um, you know, the Graham Marsh Foundation and, and WA Golf, you know, played a huge part in my development as a junior and then, you know, just progressed through junior golf to amateur golf to playing for the, you know, country at the Eisenhower Cup and um, turning pro in 2010. And now we're in 2020 and, um, you know, I've still got my tour card, but um, I suppose I'm perhaps in a little bit of a transition phase where I've always had the passion and the interest in the game to go down a coaching path. And, um, you know, here we are in, uh, in 2020 still doing a bit of both so it's it's been a cool journey yeah no that's good there's there's plenty of things there that we can we can chat about during this this podcast i think but um take me back to the junior days who was the who was the the pro at the club that got you started into golf and helped you out and uh coached you back then yeah well you know going all the way back so my uh my very first coach was a guy named wade clapworthy and um he was at this little um golf club you know, about 30k south of Perth called um, Mary Park and, um, you know, just a public track five minutes from my house and, um, you know, we – he was really my first coach um, and, you know, I stayed with him right through my junior golf until um, he basically left coaching and, and went into different, you know, different area of business and um, – then Rob Farley was my uh, okay. state Rob. state coach. Yep. Yeah. So he was, you know, my state coach and personal coach from, I suppose, about the age of sort of fourteen to um, seventeen. That sort of, you know, era right through. I think my last junior series was in about two thousand and five, two thousand and six, um, and then from there I. Um, worked with Richie Smith. So, you know, in that phase of representative golf for Western Australia, they, those guys were probably my biggest influences, I suppose. And, and I can look back to this day and then, you know, there's still messages that stay with you from, from all of those guys. So, yeah, that's cool. If, uh, just a shout out to uh, Richie if he is tuning in. I do want to get him on the podcast at some stage shortly as well. So um, keep your eye on your um, contact email. I'll be hitting you up, Richie, to come and have a chat to me as well. So 
you had had a had a coach when you were a kid starting out, and then you started getting obviously getting picked in junior state teams. Did you have a choice to bring your own coach into those programs back then, or was it just you had the state coach and that was this essentially who you worked with? Yeah, look, pretty much. I, I mean, I was fortunate because um, Wade and Rob Farley were really good mates, and and although um, you know Wade was heavily involved in the Graham Marsh Foundation, you know, even though he wasn't the state coach and because he was he was mates with Rob, they worked closely together with me, you know, and helped um, my development so that there wasn't, um, you know, any mixed messages, I suppose. Um, and that's probably the, I guess, one concern sometimes when you do move into those state programs. And I think they've done a good job of it now, you know, getting a little bit more clarity around how all of that looks. But, um, you know, that point in time yeah I was fortunate because although Rob was the state coach um you know Wade was my personal coach they were good mates and they made sure that you know I was just working on whatever it was that I needed to work on yeah for sure that, yeah. that certainly makes sense and the, yeah, yeah. You, I, you probably are correct the the Golf Australia program these days certainly has more home coach involvement than what it had in the past so they're certainly stepping down that that pathway yeah um, for sure so Tell me about the things that changed when you started getting involved with those state programs as a player. So obviously you've come from a, a junior background where you're probably the same as any kid you spent, um, played holes and holes and holes and barely spent any time on the practice fairway. And if you did go to the practice fairway, you probably smashed drivers and didn't do any short game or putting work. So tell me about some of the things they brought into your your playing skills when you started um, getting picked in those state squads. Yeah, I think, um, you know, those state squads for me, um, you know, I really enjoyed, though, you know, that sort of competitive um, environment and sort of more um, structured practice. Um, You know, I'd have my individual sessions and I'd go to junior clinics, you know, a couple of times a week and then we'd throw in a state session once a week and all of a sudden, you know, you might be going to three or four, you know, training sessions and um, between playing school sport and I was into everything until, you know, the age of 15 or 16 until rep golf started to come in and then you kind of have to, you know, wave goodbye to footy and tennis and aths and all the other stuff I was doing. But uh, mum and dad were certainly busy, that's for sure. Um, you know, but those... Those state programs, I guess, just brought a little bit more structure. Um, they those sessions were, you know, structured practice uh, versus you know just a a one hour clinic a couple of times a week, and then you're on your own to. Um, I mean, I was always dedicated, and I'd spend long hours at the golf club on a weekend. Um, I'd find an excuse to play the old boys comp on a Monday off the front tees and get your handicap down so that you could get into the Riversdale <laughs> cup and stuff like that. But, um, you know, be, Cheating that way. yeah, <laughs> no, it was all, it was all, it was all fair. Um, yeah, the tees the are where they are. I didn't set them. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I'd spend long days at the golf club, play golf early in the morning, you know, sit down and have a bucket of chips for lunch and go have a putt and a chip and wait for the field to cross over at three o'clock before you go and play another nine holes. And, um, you know, 
before long it was dark again. So I spent a lot of time at, at the golf club and I was pretty committed, but um, certainly the state practice was more structured. That's cool. But did you have a, a big junior program as you were coming through? Did you have a, a big a whole heap of kids? I know when I was I grew up in the country and we had 20, 30, 40 kids involved in our junior program. So there was always a group of kids to throw uh, $2 into a putting competition um, when it takes all comps. So did you have other kids to compete against at your club or was it just kind of yourself – self-practice we had um i was pretty fortunate so at melville glades they've got um a great practice facility where they've you know and that was you know obviously richie's home base and for me and a lot of his elite players coming through one of the reasons they spent a lot of time there was because the practice facilities are good you know the ranges was 270 odd meters long and um a huge cooch tee box and two putting greens, big pitching and chipping green bunkers. And um, the best thing about the short game area was that you could get really creative with it. And we did have a, a batch of pretty good juniors, you know, like we won the junior flag in WA, um, I think one or two years there. And, um, you know, it was there was probably more or less six to ten guys that would uh, – or juniors would – hang out and, you know, chip and putt and can of Coke and a Mars bar sort of thing after school until dark and it was good fun. You know, they're some of the best times. Yeah, it is. It's pretty cool. Did um did any any coaching so um start to come into your own own skills back then? So when you were obviously starting getting to state teams and getting access to that type of training and did you take some of that back to your club and maybe help out some of the younger kids coming through? Well, it was interesting because I remember a clear message from, you know, when I was really young, I might have been 12, 13, 14, and when I was working with Wade and, and he'd get me to do something and I'd always ask why, you know, and and he's like, you don't need to know, you just need to do it sort of thing, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and i just always ask why and I'd want to understand and I guess for me that, you know, analytical side of it has always been there to the point where now I am genuinely interested in coaching and and giving back, but it's kind of been there the whole time, you know, and my dad's a um, a teacher, you know, he was a phys ed teacher for, you know, 25 odd years before he moved into something else and coached me in all of my junior sport, whether it were t-ball or basketball or, you know, footy and 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 everything so that coaching side of it has always been there with me as a kid growing up whether it was from dad or whether it was just in my blood to want to know that sort of stuff um you know and I was probably too involved in my own game when I was a junior to really have the time to give back to anyone else but um you know certainly you know, with my uh, few of my best mates are still from that from that junior program, and um, myself and Jason Scrivener would spend hours and hours um, at Meadow Springs and Mandurah and Melville Glades practicing together, and um, we'd certainly help each other out with drills and video each other swings and all that sort of stuff for sure. 
Yeah, that's great. Yeah, a comment you made in that answer there was that you were always keen to know the why behind the changes. Do you think as a player that would that's going to help you? I, I would think that if you're going to go out on tour as a professional, you're out there by yourself most of the time. Having that that basic understanding or quite what sounds like quite in-depth understanding of your golf swing can only help you if you're out there by yourself trying to find a solution to a to a swing problem that's popped up. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, if you um, look at the guys that you see every week on, on TV, I mean, you know, they're the um, elite of the elite. You know, they're maybe the 1%, you know, not even 1% of, of – guys that are trying to make it that have access to the money and the support to have their coach and their trainer and everything like that travel with them every step of the way. So if you're not in a position to, one, be able to afford it, um, two, not everyone needs it, but, you know, I suppose you do have to have that element of, of understanding about you know, what it is that you're doing with it, with your own game. Yeah. And, you know, through my um, own personal experiences with the Australian Institute of Sport, where I had the guidance of, you know, Peter Knight and, and Mark Holland and, you know, that um, really great team there in that AIS sort of era was to really, you know, own your game and own your structure and everything that you do have your support network there ready to go by the time that you turn pro. And for me, everything was ticking along pretty nicely, you know, but I had a big form slump between winning the Aussie Amateur in early 2010 to when I turned pro end of 2010 after the Eisenhower Cup. And all that meant for me at that point in time was that, well, I didn't really own my golf game at that point in time and I was still relying heavily on the influence of other people, you know, and fast forward to 2018, 2019, where I had, you know, arguably had a really good run of form going, you know, where I contended over the Aussie summer in nearly every event. It felt like, and even today I sit here really feeling like I understand the, you know, the blueprint to what is my golf swing, what is my golf game, what makes me tick, uh, what I need to do to, you know, build form and have success. You know, I understand that blueprint now, whereas before I didn't. And, um, you know, I think if you don't really understand your game and, and have that blueprint, well, then, yeah, you certainly have to rely heavily and you'd want to have a coach there just about every step of the way. But, expensive you might not be able to afford it <laughs> very true but again it's 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 a powerful it's a powerful skill to have to be able to have that as a player and be able to have that understanding of your swing and how it works i think is extremely powerful and as a goal as a coach as a coach myself i've always wanted to be able to essentially coach my players to be able to apply it themselves when they when they have to so i think um you're certainly on the right track with there now getting back to that australian amateur i've got a bone to pick with you because um you have you when i was the people have tuned into the podcast earlier on are conscious of the fact that i was coaching in taiwan in 2000 and 
2008-ish. And then uh, just after I finished up there, a few of my students came down to play in the Australian Amateur and you happened to come across a one of my students in the semi-final and cleaned him up. So I was not impressed when I saw that at that stage. I hadn't come across you at, 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 at that point, um, but um, I just saw that you beat my Taiwanese player, so I had a, had a bone to pick with you. So you played... Um, I, feel, I, feel really, I feel really sorry for you. <laughs> He's a strange cat. I'll, I'll get in trouble for getting his um, the Chinese name wrong, but it's Hong Chen Yao, um, and his English name is Howland, and he's um he's a really nice guy, but um he was one of those kind of guys that had those real funky swings when we first started working with him, and he was hard to coach early on because um you didn't quite know what to change in case the whole thing fell apart because it was yeah one of those absolutely yeah and it's interesting because um you know we went on to play the Asian tour together, you know I think I'm not sure if he turned pro at the end of 2010 or 20, but I know it was a similar time to me and we did play on the Asian tour together. Uh, we many practice rounds together and we'd talk about that match and it was a great match. And I think you say I cleaned him up, but I think I might've beaten him one up, you know, and it was a good match. And I remember Richie was there with me all that week. And um, I didn't know um, really anything about those, you know, Taiwanese guys, other, you know, the work ethic and you kind of know what they're going to bring. Um, you know, but Richie was like, look, you know, this guy, he swings it a bit different, but he's a really, he's a really gutsy player, you know, and, um, and he was, and, you know, he brought, brought the heat early. Um, and it was a, it was a good match. And I think it was funny because at the same time, Ben Campbell and Bryden McPherson were playing the match in front and everyone was, you know, the word was kind of getting around that those two were lighting it up. And I think, Benny Campbell may have been 11 under and Bryden 10 under and then you're trying to kind of keep your mind in your own game and we were playing really good golf as well. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting how you compete hard against those guys as an amateur and then you end up playing the tour together and having practice rounds and just talking about, you know, the, that experience for what it was and then at the end of it all you back to square one as a as a rookie professional just trying to cut it out on tour. So it's all, yeah, all good experience. I always said that if I could put his head on some of the other players' um, physical swings, I reckon I'd have, to, I'd have the superstar golfer because he was a smart golfer, good short game, good chipper, good putter. Yeah. Didn't quite have the power that you need had to have. The, he had the loopy, loopy draw down the middle, oh. down, down pat. And that was straighter than it used to be. Trust me, when we first started with him, there was about twenty yards of curve on it. It was a bit scary. Yeah, um, funny, but if, but if you put his brain on uh, some of the other players' swings, you'd have the perfect golfer, I reckon. So, um, no, it was that was great fun for uh, personally coaching over there. But so, tell me about the Asian tour. How did you find it over there, and what type of things did you did you find challenging going out on tour over there? Yeah, interesting. It's it's a you know good question and one that. You know, I've had, um, you know, many chance to answer sort of many times and because for Aussie golfers, it's it's one of the more accessible tours, right? So a lot of players either go there, um, you know, so many guys enter Q school and, and, you know, only a select few obviously get through, but it is the one tour that most of the guys have a crack at getting onto out of the blocks. And... Um, you know, for me, I was fortunate enough to get a bunch of starts um, through my agent when I turned pro for a few years and had my card there for a few years. And um, 
to be honest, I I struggled a little bit. Um, I found it really hard to deal with the heat and the humidity. Um, I mean, I sweat like a pig, and and I uh, I just found it really difficult. And you got to get used to that routine of wiping your face, wiping your hands, wiping your grips, literally before every shot. And all of a sudden, all of that is new, right? And it kind of um, something else to deal with. You're there in 35 degree heat in Jakarta, just absolutely sweating bullets. And, you know, you want to just hit five golf balls and go back and have a cold shower and change clothes before you tee off. And the guys that have grown up with it are sitting there grinding away, not even, you know, sweating at all. Like it's completely normal, you know, so they're at the advantage straight straight out of the blocks and you have to acclimatize to all that and the guys that do that well succeed um, obviously the grass is different i played growing up in perth because it's so you know the weather majority of time is so good the grass is always quality like all the practice facilities around perth whether it be you know wa golf club or karen up or raw frio or melville glades the grass in the practice areas is mint and that the lies are always mint and the greens are always relatively firm, bent grass, soft. You can spin it. Um, it's totally different to going up, you know, to playing in Thailand where when it's hot and a little bit dry and and you're dealing with grain and um, you know imperfections in in the grass and um, it's a completely different ball game, completely different. Um, and some of the guys that do well in Asia actually base themselves in you know, in Queensland kind of because of that, you know, and there's a bit of a pattern there to some of the Queenslanders having success in Asia, I think, for that reason. Completely agree. I had, I had huge troubles just going from um, Sandbelt in Victoria to going to Queensland to play Chopo Tour. It just um, – it was – it's so much harder. And, yeah. uh, and that heat, I can tell you all about that. My first tournament with the Taiwanese team was in uh, – was in the <laughs> – Philippines and it nearly killed me. Me being a big fat guy, um, I almost died in that first tournament. So um, I, I understand exactly where you're coming from. So yeah, it's so a different about, different world. It is, it is. So so tell me about how you've gone. Like, so you've gone from state based stuff, played Eisenhower Cup. Just quickly on that, where did you play the Eisenhower Cup? Which so we played we played the um, Eisenhower in. Um, in Argentina, so in Buenos Aires. Yeah, I now I can, yes. I, I completely hate you because I got to go on one Eisenhower Cup trip as a coach with the Taiwanese team, and I got to go to South Australia of all places to go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Could have gone anywhere in the world, yeah, and I went to South Australia. Stiff. Yeah, I mean the golf courses are nice, but you know. I've been there, done that. I was keen to <laughs> go somewhere else, and um, but yeah, so they, I, I completely hate you. Spewing. So Spewing. yes, it was pretty ordinary. So you've gone from state-based stuff, Australian-based stuff, where you've got that support team constantly with you, helping out as you need it. Out as a as a tour player, out in a country where you you aren't familiar, in condition that you're not comfortable with, without that support team, how did you how did you find that? Or did you have a coach out there on tour at any stage, or were you just trying to do it by yourself? I guess I kind of have um, gone through patches, um, and when I was in um, the first couple of years uh, with. Golf Australia in the, in the rookie program, there was a bit of funding there to have a coach come up. And um, Joycey 
uh, came up, you know, a few times to events and he was our Eisenhower Cup coach and he was my coach there for a few years um, when I first turned pro. You know, and in in more recent years, um, you know, I've worked really closely with Gary Barter probably for four or five years now. Um, and Gary's done you know, a few events. Uh, he's got, a you know, obviously a lot of um, top quality players and um, a lot of Aussie Opens and uh, New Zealand P- Aussie PGAs, those bigger events, he's, he's usually there. Um, but I think, you know, I, I used to get into a routine where because, say, if I was on my own 80% of the time and my coach was there 20% of the time, um, I think, you know, my routine, I got used to my own routines and being able to do things, you know, when I wanted to do them, how I wanted to do them and with the people, you know, the same guys practice rounds and things like that. And then I found that, you know, sometimes with the coach there, that all changed and, and there was a little bit of elevation in um, the way that the preparation kind of seemed to go to a, a heightened level just because, you know, the coach was around um, and there was more analysis and things like that. And perhaps he'd been on the road for a, for a couple of weeks and the swing needed some work or something like that. And it didn't always, didn't always fit. Sometimes I'd prefer to just be on the road for three or four weeks and come back and do a training block with your coach and then, and then go again. Um, and I think that that model definitely works if you can't afford to have your coach there more than just, you know, once or twice or three times in a season. Um, I almost think in that space, it's, it's not quite worth it. Um, different if you're doing proper training blocks and, and preparing properly at home and then, you know, you've got your, um, I think in that space is where the caddy comes into play, you know, where the caddy who's there with you more or less you know, every step of the way kind of becomes your guy a little bit, you know, when you can't afford to have your coach there. Did you see any players that kind of had that, that coach there constantly, had that hand-holding, so to speak, going on? Um, I think not not really in um not really in asia um at all actually i'm trying to think of it now i don't really remember anyone in particular having their coach there all the time in in asia um it seems like in australia in all the australian events that there's a lot of that where certainly the guys in the high performance program having their hand held the whole time. And then, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily realistic going forward. I don't know that the plans currently that Golf Australia have in place for any of that stuff. And, and you know, I'm not going to comment on the program right now because I don't really know it and, and understand what it looks like. Um, but is that realistic to have, you know, your high-performance coach there every single week and um well no it's not because unless you're on the pga tour well it's not happening really anywhere 
Yeah, I would I would tend to agree. And I, my my goal always when I've been involved with high performance programs was to push them to do their own thing um, and step back from being there constantly all the time. And we had we had problems with that early on in Taiwan. Is they were so used to having the coaches there. Um, telling them to do this and do that. And we discussed this with um, Scotty a couple of shows ago on the podcast about giving the the player control over their own training and giving them a bit more power to do their own thing at the times it suits them. And um, I think that's important to do. I would, always, I would always be there for tournaments, but I would be stepping back from the practice fair one. If the player was, was keen for some help, they could call me over and we could go through some things, but I didn't want to be a crutch so to speak. So yeah. I think you want a similar, similar thought pattern to me there. Yeah, I think cool. and, you know now with um, how easy it is to share videos with your coach, you know through the apps and um, to monitor your numbers on TrackMan and things like that. I think your um, everything's a little bit more measurable in that space, which allows players then when they are on their own to um, you know manage some of the aspects that they're looking for. You know from that numbers perspective. I um, I certainly think that that periodization type planning that, that you're talking about, doing that doing that training section for three or four weeks with your coach and then going off to play for three or four weeks and just getting it, getting the job done out there on the course with the swing that you have that, that week, being smart enough to be able to, to set yourself up and plan to play the most effective way with the the swing that you have that day, whereas yeah, it's very tempting. It's tempting, as you said, sometimes if your coach is there, if it doesn't feel right to try and correct it before you you go and play. Yeah, exactly. And very- it's it's funny, you know, because I've when you read and and listen to you know because we've got so much access now through social media and and so many of the tours are getting their you know big name players on board to give a little bit more feedback. And I remember listening to um, a couple of guys, you know, I, th- I can think of Adam Scott, um, Henrik Stenson and Alex Noren all off the top of my head that have, have said comments that, you know, you get to the range in the morning and whatever shape is coming out on the range that morning before that round, well, that's the shape that you play with on the golf course. You know, and I suppose that's the epitome of, playing with what you've got. And they're not talking about um, in a week. They're talking about every single day could be something different, you know, because that is the minute details of the game that we play. Um, and that's the mindset of those elite guys is, is, and that's how they deal with the A, B, C, D game, whatever it is that week is that whatever's coming out in the range, that's what you go and play with on the golf course and you don't try and fight it. If it's good enough for Adam Scott, it's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. completely agree with that. And yeah. yeah, I would one hundred percent agree with there. So you played um, the tour in Asia. Did you get too many starts in any of the like the real big tours? Did you get the chance to play in the states or any other major tours, or did you just mostly Australia and Asia? Uh, I've played. I played the Canadian tour, uh, managed cards on the Australasian tour, Asian tour and Canadian tour at one time and basically filled up my schedule through that. Um, and I played PJ Tour China um, and the few of the European starts and things like that that I've played in have come more or less through um, the co-sanctioned events here, uh, whether it be Perth, 
or Vic Open or um, PGA uh, New Zealand Open when it was co-sanctioned with Nationwide, um, things like that. Um, didn't haven't played any uh, PGA Tour events, um, but you know certainly there's a lot of travel involved in all of that stuff that I was doing there, and the target was there to was originally to work try and work through Asia onto Europe and then um, have that opportunity to go from playing Canada or PJ to a China to progress obviously to or now um, Corn Ferry and and then to um, PJ Tour um, but you know didn't didn't quite get there and um, yeah spent a lot of time playing my golf now through you know um, primarily here in Australia at the moment. Yeah, well, it, and it, it, there, and those steps just get steeper and steeper as you go along those tours. So, to go from Australian tour to Asian tour, and then onto those other tours, it just those steps just get bigger and bigger. So, there's certainly no no um, blowback on you, you as a player that you didn't make it to that PGA tour because it isn't easy. That's for sure. No, exactly right. And I think you know now you've really got to commit. And I look at the guys now. Um, that are you know doing really well here in the states, and this is probably a great message for you know the guys that are coming through now. Is that um, I'm a re- I'm pretty much a homebody. Like I like my time at home. You know, obviously now I've got a young family of my own, and that's and that's me. That's always um, who I've been as a person. Is I've, I've liked my time here at home. But um, you know, if you've got PGA Tour in mind, we just look at what Curtis Luck and um, Brett Coletta and Cam Davis and these guys have done is that they've gone, you know what, out of amateur golf, um, I'm going to the States and I'm just going to be in the States, you know, and play whether it be mini tours or target, really target Corn Ferry and and that really is um, the best way to make it happen and your support crew and your life becomes around, you know, in America, trying to make it in America, and um, you know, they're doing a really good job of that. Whereas, if you think that you can kind of do that from home and go, well, I'll just progress, and maybe I was guilty a little bit of that myself, or there'll be a natural progression if I just go from Australia to Asia and then to Europe or to wherever, and it will all just kind of make its way there. But there's so many good players, and you just have to bite the bullet and commit. And if you've got a girlfriend in Australia or, or, you know, family in Australia and you want to be in the States and kind of balance it all up, well, it's hard work. Um, and I think the guys that have done the best have just gone, you know what, turning pro, going to the States, I'm going to the PGA Tour, and they're there and they're doing well. Expensive too. If, 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 you, if you aren't successful, you can spend a whole lot of money very, very quickly trying to do it that way too. Yeah, so. you can. And But you know what? It's It's expensive to, you know, Every tour that every tour that you play on is expensive. Yeah, very yeah. true. So, tell me about the switch that came. Okay, so you're out there obviously trying to be a be a, a tour player, yep. and you've signed up for the PGA's bridging program, which gets you some coaching accreditation in Australia. So, what was the the switch that? Uh, okay, I've some. I'm going to step away from playing for a while, and I'm going to do this bridging program. It's interesting, you know, like in um, twenty in twenty sixteen, um, 
Steph and I got married in January of 2016 and and when we booked all the dates and everything for the wedding, I picked like the end week of January and I looked at all the Q schools and everything. And um, the previous year there was nothing on that week, right? And then I think it was that summer for the first time all the tours had their final stage of Q school that week or the week after, right? <laughs> and I was just like, you've got to be kidding me, you know. <laughs> it's like, trust me, you know, you, you can't reschedule a wedding. No, right? you, you can't know? change that date. That's no. set in stone. Not when you're not when it's only like six weeks out, I promise you. <laughs> and um, anyway, I was a stage and I was kind of battling a bit with my game. And I took it for what it was and I just thought, you know what, um, I'm going to get married. I'm going to have a great party. I'm going to enjoy that. I'm not even going to worry about Q schools. And um, I basically took that whole year off and I was doing some work at a golf bar in the city and pouring drinks and doing a bit of coaching, you know, for the people that were coming through the door, a few tips here and there. And, you know, no, well, you know, just here, have a beer and stop coming over the top, you know, that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, from there, I just kind of thought, well, let's, you know, let's do this properly. And I, you know, did a bit of research in the program. And um, because I have always had that interest, you know, in golf, and I thought, I don't want to be on the grind and then decide too late that maybe I want to maybe I want to do this so I was like I've got a little bit of time um, even if I am playing the Australian tour well that's what the program's there for um, you know to manage it both and so I started to get into it and um, you know then I've had during the program two two little boys and the assignments have taken a little bit longer than planned but um, you know it's all it's all done and um, and here we are and, you know, I've managed to get my card back. I went back to Q School after that break and reassessed my game and did a lot of work with Gary Barter and, you know what, he's been he's been huge for me um, in that really all he's, um, you know, done for me is, is that he sort of reinvigorated like a passion, you know, within me to – um, just be in golf. You know, I enjoy working on my game. I enjoy helping others work on on their game. And I didn't love the game for a little while there. Deep down, maybe, but at a surface level, no, because I was grinding, I was finding it tough. And then spending time with him, he just brought so much clarity to my golf game. And, you know, I just love it. I live in, I live and breathe it. I, you know, I don't know if there's a golf program on YouTube. I haven't watched during this lockdown period and my wife's like, watch something else, but I don't know. I love it. You know, and that's, and that's part of the reason why I've, I've stuck the course. I think, you know, a, a lot of guys that I know grew up playing golf with, if they've had a battle with their game or they've stepped away. But for me, you know, I've genuinely loved it and got a passion for it and I've always wanted to figure it out, you know, and, and you know, I'm not 
a world beater now by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, I, I play and have played some really good golf over the past couple of years and, you know, I've still got my full status. And whenever we get back out to playing on tour, I feel like I can do a good training block and and get ready and compete. And for me now, the Aussie summer events, like the Aussie Open, the PGA, Vic Open, they're like my majors now, you know, and, and I'm cool with that. Um, you know, that's where I'm at. You know, I love being with my family. I love being with my two little boys. We got some cool adventures coming up ahead of us, um, you know, and I've still got that opportunity to, you know, for now, try and win one of those Aussie majors. And that's cool. You know, I'm, I'm really comfortable with that. That is that is uh, that is um, that is uh, exciting for you, I think. And f- for those that are out there that don't understand how the bridging program works, it essentially uh, gives Matt vocational qualifications now in Australia, so he becomes a vocational PGA professional as well. Um, so he can coach and do other things as well as obviously he has got his tour cards still, so he can still go out and play, um, as you just said, but he's also got those qualifications to go out and coach or be a club pro if he heads down that path at some stage as well. But I'm curious about some of the things. You've obviously had some exposure to some pretty high-profile coaches in Australia over your journey. You've dropped some pretty big names um, out of those coaches that have helped you through your career, Joycey and Gary Barter and um Richie Smith and some of those names, Peter Knight, Mark Holland. Um, there's some pretty good coaches in that in that list there. What are some of the things that they've given you as a player that you think you can bring across into the coaching world? Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because yeah, you know, I said right at the start, I think that there's little messages um, across the board, or you know, messages, but moments, you know, specific moments that you remember that with that coach, which was kind of like as a player was you know, like a light bulb moment, whether, you know, whether it be like a sneaky little grip change by the by the chipping green or, you know, setting up to a shot like this. I mean, what well, Marco was famous for being able to hit like a little flop bunker shot with a five iron at Mooner out of that little pot bunker, right? It's just... Absolute freak you know, when it came to that shot. <laughs> oh, ridiculous. Like, and I think more than anything is that you remember those moments and those experiences and... um from the people that and players that I've managed to you know, learn from, and I f- suppose for me is that I have always tried to learn from whoever it be um, I was involved with. Is that um, you know you? I mean, you can th- think back, like I said, to Marco in that bunker. Um, whether it be playing a practice round with Sergio Garcia at the um, Aussie Masters or the, the morning that I turned pro, I was I put chucked my bucket of balls down on the range, um, the Aussie Masters at Vic Golf Club, and then Tiger puts his bucket down next to me and starts hitting balls, and it's like my first morning as a pro. It's like 7 o'clock, wow. and I'm just like, Jesus, you know, <laughs> this is real. This is happening. Um, Scary too. And I just want to let – as a coach, I want to, you know, let people in to all of that stuff um, and not just tell them something that they've already read in a golf magazine or they've seen on YouTube, you know. Create an experience um, for your clients, you know. And I think for me, your clients, you know, they 
they buy into the person that you are before they buy into the program that you're trying to deliver. You know, and for me, I suppose that's my my key message now as a as a coach. So, are you are you going to target yourself as a as a coach to be more of that? I can turn you into a tour player type coach, or are you going to aim at more at that average type player, or are you going to be a, a bit of a combination? You know what? I don't really I don't really know yet where my um, you know where my coaching journey is gonna is gonna take me. I have it's completely. You know, it's relatively in its infancy. I've spent a good time at um, Greenacres Golf Club the last couple of years, you know, really working my my craft in that space and really learning. And um, uh, you know, a lot to go with all of those other experiences I've had as a as a player with all all of my coaches, right? Um, and I know sort of short term what it looks like, but long term. I don't know yet whether I want to be involved in high performance and things like that. I, at the same time, there's so many really good PGA pros out there that have crafted a really good living for themselves, you know, by providing a great service, whether it be to the members of their golf club. And you wouldn't even you wouldn't even know their names, you know, but they do a quality job. They deliver good programs, good content, and they get around their membership. Um, and at the same time, you think about the high performance and elite coaches that are out there, they're, they're up there in lights more or less because of the player that they've had access to. Um, I suppose, you know, with Richie, you know, good golfer and, and whatnot growing up. And then all of a sudden he's got Minji Lee and Ollie Goss for a while. They're just killing it. And, and now, Minji and Minwoo just killing it and now you know everyone knows Richie and a lot of it's down to sure you're a great coach and you but it's players as well that sort of make you that really elite coach if you will you know or put your name up in lights but at the same time there might be a really good coach who's just killing it with his membership and they love him and then you don't know you don't know who he is and I'm happy with with either of that really to be honest with you but at this stage yeah it's just in its infancy and I'm learning and I'm enjoying the process of learning and I'll continue to learn and help whoever I can along the way. I like it a lot. Um, I know personally when I first started coaching I was very guilty of just take, uh, teaching the players I was teaching the stuff that I was taught when I was a, a player and obviously didn't get to the standard that you got to as a player. Have you found that that's something that you've done early on in your coaching? You've tended to just regurgitate the stuff that you were told as a player? Um, look, I think it's a good, I think it's a, like a really good point. And um, I can sort of you know, remember back to moments now where that was, you know, the case even with things that I was being taught. And um, in the long run, that didn't work for me as a player and um, I'm not going to go down that path of um, doing that with my players, although you've always got to have your beliefs in, in, in what works, right? Some, you've got to have a belief in a, in a system or a, or a technique versus something um, because that gives you clarity on, on what you're teaching. Um, but 
I think there's certainly tricks of the trade from a from a tour perspective that you can give people access to, sure. And it's been interesting for me because the more that I do research and and learn about you know the coaching game and the coaching business and the messages that the um, best coaches out there are giving their players, I've found myself going, man, that's exactly what I was telling you know, Jim down at the golf club the other day. And I didn't even know that he was teaching that. So it kind of gives you, um, it's like a pat on the back. It's like, man, you're on, you're like, you're on track here. And um, it's just little experiences along the way that, you know, uh, no, I'm doing a good job. It's great. I, I, I think I'm hearing from you that you've, you're, you've, you've got some ideas but you're fluid in how you're coaching them and keen to do some more study and find out some more, uh, follow some other coaches and pick up some more more tips and advice and uh, learn more things, which is always a, a, a powerful thing as a golf coach. It's, it sounds really good. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've, um, yeah, you've got a – I mean, you don't – have to keep learning you can stick to your guns and just do what you do for as long as you want to do it that's cool too but um for me i think just because i i have a passion for it it makes you know, learning um a bit easier um you know and of all the stuff through the um, bridging program you know i found learning about the coaching side of the game so much you know easier or all the assignments about coaching or whatever else it it was easy to um to to do that and and work through that because i found it fun um you know because i because i love it whether you know maybe a finance module or something i was like oh man (laughs) not not this again you know but (laughs) so um risk management should i uh should i go on tour or should i stay home and work <laughs> yeah that's it it's um no it's um it's a challenging course but again it just it gives you those yeah, qualifications where, where you can start to make your choices uh, thank you so much for your time tonight matt i really appreciate it um i've um kept you for close to an hour now but i've got a couple of uh, i've got a few questions that i like to ask everybody on the podcast so i'd like to shoot those at you if you if yeah. you don't mind before i let you go yeah roll so on. now because you're a player and a coach so you you can come at this from either angle i've got no problem with this way you're my first real tour player i've had on the podcast so any advice for either players starting out or coaches starting out um Coaches starting out, um, be be genuine and and that is a massive measure of that is the time that you give somebody. Um, as a player, um, I'd say self discover, you know, and and learn um, and try to understand your game like we touched on before about being able to go out there and not have to rely on on someone else because at the end of the day it's it's just you hanging on to that club no, that makes lots of sense um any advice for golfers out there so um this is obviously a coaching podcast but hopefully there's a few golfers signing in um as well to hear the shows so any advice for golfers out there be careful of the trends and the fads that you see on social media and YouTube and 
go to your pro with the idea, but understand whether it relates to your game or not, because if it doesn't, you'll end up hating the game. Makes lots of sense. It'll, you'll be just on the hamster wheel and you won't be able to get off. Chasing that, that, that current trend that's floating around online yeah. can be a, a trap for golfers out there all over the world. So, no, I certainly like that one. Um, where – actually, that's the fourth question. The third question is, is there anything that you would change in your career path up until now? Now, you're obviously still very young um, and there's plenty of time to make changes, but you discussed a bit about maybe making the jump straight to the, the States instead of going via Asia. Is there anything that you would change in your career path up until now? You know what? Um, I remember when I was a kid, Wade Clatworthy, my first coach, he said, your grip is brilliant. Don't let anyone ever change it. And so I who changed it? Marty Joyce changed it, and <laughs> I wish I never did. <laughs> I should have listened to Wade. He was right. So did Joycey strengthen it, or I'm guessing he turned it It was amazing, you know. Um, I mean, it was given it was at a time I was struggling with my accuracy off the tee a little bit. I was trying to find something. I was, I was willing to try everything, but um, it was – Strong for me, right-handed golfer, really strong left hand and cut it. Okay. Um, which, I mean, yeah, anyway, I I wish I never changed my grip, put it that way. And anyway, I'm back to my my normal standard grip. And um, I'm Wade, if, you, if you're listening, I'm sure he's not. He's probably flying a plane somewhere. But, uh, I've got <laughs> I'm um, I'm putting this down now to ask Joycey when I get him on the podcast about changing your grip and see what he comes back with. So I'll give him the the chance to answer, but yeah. um, I am jotting it down there now. <laughs> yeah, please, um, more than more than happy. And I will certainly ask him. It's all about that. Um, okay, so the future of the golf industry, or your future, probably more so. I'm curious about where you see yourself in five years' time. Um, wow. Um, hopefully we're out of lockdown. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Been a long time um, coming. Look, you know what? In, in five years' time, I'd be absolutely super stoked if in these next couple of years of playing, I give my chance and opportunity to play in a British Open. Um. And that can happen, you know, through success on the Aussie Tour, especially the Aussie Open. Um, so in the five years, I'd love to have done that in the next five years. And then from there, you know, um, just built a really steady foundation for, you know, my vocational side of my my learning, you know, and my coaching Um and you know, given a bit of a whirlwind the last couple of months, um, my life's going to change a little bit and I never would have expected it. So so who knows, mate? Who, yeah, who knows? It. 
So where can people find you if they're, they're after you, if they're keen to get some coaching from you or come and have a chat? Uh, you got Are you on social media? Have you got a, I a am. Small... I am um, I'm on social media, on Instagram. Um, please, you know, if you're interested, send us a message, reach out. Happy to have a chat, have a look at swings, um, whatever. Uh, I've got some cool stuff coming up on um, Slow Coach, which is a new coaching platform out there. Um, that'll be launched soon, um, you know, and in the in the short term, I'll be at Cathedral Golf Club, you know, for the um, – Oh, nice. For the, for the um, sort of foreseeable future and then post that, um, I'm not sure, but – you know, I'm looking to stay involved with, um, you know, the public and, and my clients through, you know, online and, and doing some, I mean, it'd be interesting. I'm keen to see what happens with the um, setup down at Sandringham, you know, and, and what sort of access BJ members get to be able to, you know, do some stuff through there. I know, don't know too much about it, but there's something in the pipeline, I believe. Yeah, there's some pretty cool tools going in down there, I think. So yeah. I think that'll be be pretty exciting, exciting times. So I will put some links to all those things in the show uh, description so you can click on those and check out Matt um, on Instagram and um, – Maybe hit him up for a game at Cathedral Lodge if he's up if he's if he's working up there. That might be a, yeah, a bit harder right. to get a, get a game yeah. on there. But um, <laughs> well, you got to know someone. Yeah, that's it. I might be making a phone call myself to come and have a game up there. Please do. But, Please do. But again, Matt, thank you so much for your time tonight. I certainly appreciate it, and um, we will certainly catch up for a beer, hopefully out of lockdown very soon. Yeah, brilliant, mate. Thanks very much for your time. It's been good fun.